And what we just have to call Thomas Trance erotica. Shorty's ultimately to blame for this. He started he it. He did. We need to add a PDO as well, I think. That's true. Is regression new in there? Is regression that addition? is new. You yeah. guys are just, it's, eventually it's going to be like five minutes long. Yeah. Just add yeah, all the exactly. We don't even have time for Dranster anymore. We're just going to play the <laughs> intro for 20 minutes. Uh, it's Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance filling in for Halford and Bruff. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your What We Learned submissions in. We will read them at 830. Hashtag WWE. Well, what you learned in the last 24 hours in sports. And of course, we are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Now joining us on the line, as he does every day, every week this time, every Thursday at 8 o'clock, uh, he is Canucks insider from The Athletic and also here on Sportsnet 650 on Canucks Talk, he is Thomas Drance. Drance. Long time no talk. What's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Yeah. Merry Christmas to Halford and, and Jason. Hope they're enjoying their sleeping. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I guarantee you they are. <laughs> I know I would be in their situation. Um, I've got to say, I don't think regression is sexy enough. Like, I know I don't mean to criticize the work of the A-Dog, who is a genius, of course, unparalleled. Uh, a van, the Van Gogh of jingles. But, um, but truly, like, Regression, I'm not sure it's sexy enough. I think you need PDO in there because PDO actually, like, you know, that gets me going. That gets me going. Regression, it's like, ah, man, I don't know about that. I got to leave now. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Constructive criticism uh, for a dog. <laughs> You're dead to me, Drance. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we want a list of, like, hockey terms that turn you on the most, but... Uh... <laughs> The power, the power ranking nobody asked for. Yeah, the, the tiers that absolutely nobody asked for. Um, well, here's my tiered list. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, please don't. I'm just kidding. All right, so Canucks have played 33 games this year, and I know you always like to cite the 30-game mark as, as a mark where, not that it's locked, it's written in stone what a team is, but you start to have a lot of data about kind of what a team, you know, what you know about a team, what to expect from a team going forward. At this 33-game mark, what are some of your big-picture takeaways about this iteration of the Canucks? Do I still have you, Jamie? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, the So, look, there's a few things I'm pretty confident about, and yet one thing that's interesting with this Canucks team is how far off the results are from some of the baseline underlying performance 
uh, stuff that we're seeing. Like, I, I'm pretty confident based on the fact that this team generates a below average and a well below average rate of shots, shot attempts, scoring chances, and expected goals, both based on uh, the, what we can see publicly at, at Natural Stat Trick, which are, you know is data that I tend to um, be skeptical of, but also what we see privately, like in private uh, data from private data sources, which I tend to weight more heavily. Um, below average across the board, and, and in some instances, bottom five uh, in terms of their offensive generation. And yet this team's got the most five-on-five goals in the NHL. Uh, they're third in terms of the rate at which they score five-on-five goals. And so you get to this point where, you know, I have a fair, I have a fairly high degree of confidence that this team's going to struggle to score goals five-on-five at a far higher rate over the balance of the season than they have to this point. And yet you say that and people look at you bug-eyed, right? Like they, they think you're nuts because – how can you not think that this team's going to just keep scoring? They've scored so much to this point. Every game they play is a blowout. Well, if the, you know, I'm watching these games, like this isn't a purely numbers-based take. Like how many goals do we see where the Canucks are truly like overwhelming an opponent with pressure and, and a whole wash of scoring chances and like really, really unlocking the opposition's defensive structure and, and how much more frequently are we seeing the Canucks score one and done wrist shot goals off the rush or, or get those fortunate bounces on deflections. Um, you know, like at this point, and, and I think this is sort of where the take is hottest. Um, you know, I really do think that when the regression hits, if this team starts to shoot at a more pedestrian rate, you know, we're, we're going to see a team that struggles to score particularly because their only line that really seems to generate the types of chances that I, that I don't see a lot of from Vancouver's top six uh, is the third line. And, you know, you Garland, Bluger, um, Joshua, like that's not the group that you have a lot of confidence having a, a ton of efficiency in terms of their ability to convert. Um, you know, beyond that, I see a good defensive team. I believe in the Canucks power play. Like I think the Canucks power play, which oddly has run a little cold of late, Right has not been a reliable source of goals over the past two weeks. Like I have zero concerns about this team's ability to manufacture offense five on four, and I think that's why you know when we talk about regression hitting, a lot of people just hear sort of on an emotional level like, oh no, everything that's now good will be bad, and that's sort of something I don't see. Like I don't mm. think this team's going to have no baseline in part because I think when the regression hits five-on-five, five, you're also going to get positive regression from their power play, and it'll get back to cooking, which, which you know, in combination with a team that I, I believe and the underlying numbers sort of show, uh, you know, is, is a pretty robust defensive group um, and, and has great goaltending, right? I, I mean, I think there's going to be enough outs for this team to withstand the inevitable offensive regression here. Um, I don't think we're going to see a team that regresses and then is like helpless, like the Carlisle Leafs were, or the Mike Yo Minnesota Wild were. I think we're going to see a team that's, you know, still a mid 90s point pace team, even when, you know, they stop getting a, a historic rate of bounces uh, at both ends of the ice, but in, in, in particular in the offensive end. This question comes in in the inbox, and it kind of relates to one I was going to ask you anyway, Drancer. Curtis and Vernon Texan. Hey, guys, at this pace, when should Canucks fans start having legit 
playoff expectations and drop the happy to be there attitude. And I guess the way I would phrase it is from this point on, right, no, with the record they have and no learning what we've learned about, you know, Quinn Hughes leveling up and the way a lot of the new additions have fit and, you know, the, the impact Rick Tockett has had on the defense and all of those things. From this point on, what qualifies as a successful season for the Canucks? Well, look, I mean, I think the fact that, so, you know, this was something I wrote in the summer and we talked about in August and we talked about coming into the season. Like, I think what this team needs to do this season isn't about making the playoffs and it never was. Um, They will make the playoffs more than likely, uh, overwhelmingly likely to make the playoffs. And, you know, on some level that that qualifies as a success. I think what needed to happen, I think what what would qualify for qualify the season as a success is that you could see a path, right? There was at least a realistic path to build a team that could actually contend, right? Maybe not this season, but, but at some point contend around this group of players. And I think with the way that Quinn Hughes has leveled up, um, you know, with the way that Miller has maintained or not, not, not maintained, frankly, bounced back from what was a, a pretty miserable campaign last season, especially defensively, um, with the way that Pedersen has performed uh, and obviously with the way Demko, especially if Demko can stay healthy and maintain a well above average save percentage all season, doing something he's never done in his career, which is be that durable workhorse starter. Who's, you know, ready to enter the playoffs in, in his prime form. And, and obviously we're not there yet. There's still something that Demko has to accomplish over the balance of the year before we get there. Um, you know, I, I think if all of those things happen and the team's depth players perform well and Niels Hoaglander, um, in particular, looks like he's cresting, right? Uh, you know, I, I think I think you sort of get to a point where at least you can begin to see a path for this team being really meaningfully competitive in the in the Western Conference for a, for a you know a, a couple year window. Um, to me, that's what mattered. Like, you know, my my standard, my criticism of this team was, do you have that feeling? You know, and and I think they've at least gone some way toward answering that. Hey, in fact, they do. Excuse me. Um, Be careful out there, buddy. Yeah, I will. Uh, Hey, in fact, there's a real path to this team building something meaningful, a chance to win meaningfully. Um, You know, to me, that qualifies as a successful season, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, Uh, even though I still think that this team's given up too much ceiling uh, in terms of the future surrendered to construct this roster. Uh, Thomas Drance joining us here on Halford & Bruff Sports at 650. So with that in mind... And, you know, I know I made the point on uh, Canucks Talk last week that, look, if things are if things are clicking like they're clicking for you right now, you should be prepared to take a really big swing at the trade deadline. Given all of the complexities of the Canucks situation, the uncertainty of Elias Pettersson and Philip Ronick, the number of pending UFAs they have, all of that, how would you see them approach the trade deadline this year? Yeah, I mean... I don't think you can plan too much for the future, given the path that you've already gone down. You know, like you've already gone down the path where I think the next year or two years are crucial. And I also think you have to manage your risk on the Elias Pettersson file, right? So, you know, I don't think you want to, I don't think you want to buy futures, for example, now, given that Pettersson's not locked in. In, in a meaningful respect, like I think you have to be mindful of 
I think you have to be mindful of not leaving yourself high and dry in terms of this retooling experiment in the event that, you know, Pedersen decides to sign a one-year deal or you, you can't get him signed or the worst case scenario unfolds. Like you have to be, you have to keep that, I think in your rear view mirror, even though I'm not someone who's out here sort of trying to, trying to stoke like fear or anything. I just think that that's a factor. That's a factor that you have to be mindful of. That said, you know, with the ages of your best players, Miller 30, um, you know, Pat Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, all in their mid twenties and Demko's really more in his late twenties. You know, I, I do think you need to, and Heronic too, I'll throw him in 26, right? You need to, I like, I don't think you can plan for four years down the line. I think the next three years are what matter here, right? Like that's, that's when you want to sort of, that's when the iron's hot. So, you know, I'm okay with this team buying given the choices they've made to this point, but I think you have to buy from the Heronic set. Like, like you want to buy a piece that's youngish fits in with the age of that core group and who, if you're acquiring, you're acquiring for multiple years. And ideally with more fixed cost certainty than the club was able to net when they traded for Heronic, right? I mean, Ideally, with someone who's locked in beyond that, uh, giving you the cost certainty that you will not have on Heronic and Patterson, right? So, um, you know, that's, that's the sort of move that I could get behind. That's the sort of all-in move that I can get behind, but it's ultimately going to be dictated by what unique opportunities present themselves as opposed to sort of stipulating, like, what their posture should be in a more general sense. I think there are star players who it makes sense to go all-in for, I don't know that it necessarily makes sense to go all in as like a concept, given where mm. this team sits. For like a rental or something, right? You, you know, yeah, well, yeah. No, I, I think I think buying a rental, I think buying a rental would be. I mean, it just further limits your ceiling. Like it just further limits your ability to plug in affordable depth um, down the line. Which you know, uh, I mean, it's, even in a world where everything goes well. For this team, right? Pedersen signs, gets a big raise. Heronic signs, gets a big raise. You've got, you know, Hughes up in four, Demko up in three. Like, you've got, you know, the likelihood, the the probability of diminishing returns on the Miller contract as he ages, right? Um, you know, I, I think losing a source of reliable labor, like further compromising your sources of affordable labor in two, three years, which is effectively what you're doing every time you trade a first-round pick, like, to me, that's not the time to go buy a one-year, you know, bolster yourself for the playoffs guy. I think you can do that more affordably. You know, you can do the depth defenseman or the depth forward for a third, something like that. But but if you're talking about that first round, I think it needs to be, you know, a multi-year type piece coming back. And, and not just a multi-year type piece, but a multi-year type needle mover, mm. ideally with some cost certainty locked into um, you know, obviously one of the big discussion points right now around the team, despite the fact that they're playing so, so well, but it is the status of Andre Kuzmenko healthy scratch, uh, in the game in Nashville. We'll see what tonight brings with the Dallas stars. And look, it, it's kind of interesting with Kuzmenko. Cause this is not in some ways it's new for Kuzmenko. Cause he was, you know, so successful last year, but highly paid winger struggling to produce and struggling uh, to maintain their spot in the lineup is not a new or unfamiliar story here in Vancouver over the last couple of seasons. You look at, you know, Brock Besser at Connor Garland 
And I know when we've talked about those guys, Garland and Besser in the past, you know, we've we've expressed a lot of caution. Like, hey, don't be in a rush to trade these players just because they're struggling right now. Certainly don't give up assets to get off to get off of them. Put them in uh, a better position to, to succeed and then kind of take stock of your options. And I think we're seeing that with both Besser and Garland pay off this uh, year. Is there a similar? I, 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 I just want to quibble with you quick. Okay. I don't think we're seeing that with Garland at all. Well, except I think he's in a more stable role this year. Well, sure, but stability. I mean, he's not in a role to produce more than, you know, 45 points. And that's that's with high-end rate stat production, which for the most part he hasn't managed, partly because he's shooting less than 3%. I mean, but I just think he's been put – I think we saw it under Tockett when he Tockett came in, but the way for Garland to really succeed on this team is be the third-line driver of a line. And I think he's in yeah. the perfect role for him right now, and that hasn't always been the case. Yeah, I mean, I think Garland can succeed higher up the lineup. I think pigeonholing him into the third line is limiting his value, and certainly uh, not giving him a sniff on, on power play one, I think, is limiting his production. So I don't think Garland's put in necessarily an optimal role. I think it's a stable role. I think that's fair. I think it's a role that he's capable of handling. We've seen that. But, you know, what I'd say is, like, with Besser, we've seen a real return of consistent opportunity, both in terms of him playing with, you know, a high-end playmaker mm-hmm. and JT Miller five-on-five five, and then being a fixture on power play one, something that wasn't true last year and something that severely diminishes his ceiling production-wise. Um, you know, I, I mean, Besser for me is a template. I don't know that Garland is. Um, I think I would put Garland aside. I still think, like, Garland succeeding despite the fact that the opportunities haven't returned or necessarily been given to him the way that they usually need to be. But I would still say whether or not the opportunities, whether or not the opportunities have changed, the Mm -hmm. conversation around Garland is way different and the way he's viewed and his role on this team is way different. Right. I I suppose though, I suppose though there's two paths then, right? Like what I'd say is there's two paths. You either will it despite a lack of opportunity Mm -hmm. by driving play and figuring out how to be impactful, like on the back check and doing all these sorts of, things away from the puck that Garland has been able to do and do so effectively this season, um, you know, do it such a high level that it's offset the fact that he only has two goals, that it's offset the fact that his production is actually not in line with his career norms. Um, you can't watch these games and not know that he's having an impact on this team winning games. So even though he's not featured in terms of uh, offensive opportunities, he's still changed the conversation around him. That's a credit to him more than it is a reflection of how opportunity sort of guides, uh, you know, the stock uh, uh, of various like $5 million wingers. But I think, um, it, Fesser, I think Fesser would be the different, op- would be the different one where, yeah. you know, he sees these opportunities, he's run with it. Uh, he's getting some of the bounces that Kuzmenko got last year and that eluded him. And, and all of a sudden it looks like they flipped right in terms of how they're considered mm-hmm. in terms of how they're discussed. You know, the one difference, I do think it's worth noting is, you know, for all that at his sort of low points, people questioned Besser's defensive ability. The two-way results were always kind of there for him. Like the the in, except for last season, last where season they really is the fell off a cliff. Though. Yeah, um, but but we sort of knew that that was so out of line with what he'd done and his struggles. You know, it had been a sort of a multi-year thing. I mean, for the most part, with Besser. I think there was still a sense that if he could get right as a two-way player, he had two-way value outside of just the offense. 
Um, I don't know that we have that same sense with Kuzmenko. I certainly don't. Well, yeah. And, and, and I think and that's where it differs. Where I was driving at was with Garland and Besser, it was probably, you know, I think the analysis we kept coming back to was your best bet is probably just to keep these players rather than make a really, you know, difficult or even expensive trade to get them off your roster because as much as they might have frustrated you, there's still, you can clearly see how they could help you going right. forward. And I guess my question is, is the analysis the same with Kuzmenko where you're better off just holding and hoping that he finds a way to click with Tockett given the difficulties of moving a player who's making what he's making and is a healthy scratch right now? Or is it a different case with Kuzmenko in your eyes? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it is slightly different, but also the same overall logic applies. I think where where it is different is no matter, like, Besser never fell behind a sort of 65-point-per-82 game rate in terms of his scoring, right? Um, over, like, you know, his five-on-five scoring dipped a bit, but he was always productive enough that you, you know, you could go back and be like, Hey, this is a 25, 26 year old player. Who's averaged 65 points for every 82 games. He's played. Like there's something there. Garland always managed, you know, not only to drive play, but also to produce at a second line five on five rate. Actually this season, his scoring's dipped. Um, and then you get to Kuzmenko and it's, it's just a little bit different. Like we saw him score almost 40 goals last season, but, the percentages were so highly in his favor this year. The percentages are still in his favor and the production's not. How do you, you know, and there's no sort of baseline. Like it, it, this is a guy who's only played what 110 NHL games, right? Like we have nothing to compare it to. We don't have the long track record of success. Uh, and he's not young, right? Like he's not a young player fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it, it, it feels like there's less, there's less grounding to bet on, if that makes sense. There's less of a track record that we can point to and say, like, hey, this is who he is. Sorry about that. Busy morning in Vancouver. Yeah, Fairview Slopes um, is hopping at, uh, at 8.30 in the morning, <laughs> apparently. Um, we, there's less for us to point to and say, what we're seeing now isn't who he is, right? That, that, like, this baseline gives us confidence that this is the real player despite what we're seeing in terms of short-term struggles. We don't have that with Kuzmenko, and it's not necessarily his fault. It's that he doesn't have that track record. And, and even if you go back to, like, his experience in the cave, this is a late bloomer, right? Like, this is a guy who had – it's not like he had six elite years in the KHL and then came over. Like, he was a late bloomer in the KHL. He had, like, two really strong seasons before coming into North America, one of them elite. Um, so, you know, I, I do think we should approach it with somewhat less confidence that like what we saw last year is the real version. In fact, what we saw last year was so historic in terms of his scoring rates that I think it's not, you know unlikely that that performance has anything to do with what his baseline level probably is as the sample expands. That gives me a lot less confidence in a bounce back. And if you don't think you're going to get a bounce back, you know, um, like we don't like the idea of selling distressed assets. You always want to buy high, sell low, or uh, no nope. high by low, but you know, sometimes you just have to cut your losses and I, you know, I don't know that we're not there. Like, I don't know that we're not there. I'm not saying we are right, but I don't, I don't have the same level of confidence in a bounce back that I did when we were discussing Garland and Besser last season. Trance, great stuff, man. We'll talk soon.
Yes. See you soon, buddy. <laughs> that is Thomas Strantz <laughs> of The Athletic and uh, Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 6. 50. Uh, we'll take a break here. We've got some what we learns. I know uh, at least one of the dogs. I don't know about Air Bud. I know Air Dog, or sorry, Air Dog. A Dog has one. <laughs> I'm not sure about Air Bud, but we'll do that. Uh, I have a what we learned as well. Still time for you to get your what we learn submissions in. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or our beauties in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Tell us what you learned in the last 24 hours in sports. Text in hashtag WWL. We'll do that. Final segment of the show up next here on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. It sure is. Welcome back. Alfred Ruff here, Sportsnet 650. What a great jingle. It's so great. I love it. Unreal. What we learned. A-Dog, the best. I love the crusty uh, drop at the beginning as well. So good. What a great character. One of the best. Just like hearing his voice makes me laugh. Anything said in his voice is inherently funny. I could pull a better cartoon out of my (laughs) ass. Hey! The Eastern European version of uh, Itchy and Scratchy. Yeah, par- <laughs> Worker and Parasite. Worker Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this hour of Alvin and Ruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Uh, Alfred and Ruff also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Still time. For you to get a late what we learned into the inbox, 650-650, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, uh, and and we will potentially read it on the air. We'll see. Who knows? If it's as good as Mike, uh, the urologist from Brockville text, then we'll definitely read it on the air. Um, Do I do the fire plan read now, or does it matter? I mean, it probably doesn't matter when I do it, right? Hey, Doug, we'll, do it for, we'll do it for the humanoids. Okay, we'll do it for the humanoids. Uh, don't change things on the fly for me, guys. I, I get set in my ways. But anyways. Uh, okay, the dogs. Hey, Doug, do you want to start with what we learned here? Yeah, and I've seen a, a couple listeners pointed out as well. Uh, so I don't know if you guys know who Jay Fresh is on Twitter, at Jay Fresh Hockey. He does those analytics players cards yep. and stuff like that. He's Occasional great. guest on Canucks Talk. Oh, you guys had, mm-hmm. oh, you had it on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, sweet. Um, well, yeah, so he does this like listener or listener Twitter poll every year, and he does one on the most hated fan bases and, more importantly, which fan bases hate which fan bases the most. And for the Canucks... Their most hated fan bases in this order are the Leafs, unsurprisingly, the Edmonton Oilers, and then the Canucks. <laughs> so nobody hates Canucks fans more than Canucks fans. Well, so I actually the, find the, that so charming. Canucks fans hate themselves. No, well, so so the Canucks appear as the most annoying fan base in three teams' polls: the two Alberta teams, unsurprising, and their own. Yeah. <laughs> 
This also happened to the Habs. Habs. Uh, oh, uh, I was going to say, Habs was there hate, another team that had themselves yeah, the, in the, the mix? The Montreal Canadiens also hate hate themselves a lot as well. I which, think, which, like, why? Oh, oh 26 cups. Like, oh, boo-hoo. oh no. Habs, Come on, Habs, Habs fans. fans can be a lot. I lived in Montreal and I was like, guys. Yeah, but you're not a Habs fan. Yeah, but I can imagine if I was being annoyed at other Habs fans. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I just, I'm in a like, family of Habs fans. It's, yeah. uh, um, look, it's I'm annoying. not saying Habs fans aren't annoying to me. I'm just saying, why would you, like, I get why Canucks fans are self-loathing. Like, <laughs> I understand why I am gainfully employed. <laughs> no, but what I don't understand is why fans of, like, this historic, because the most successful NHL franchise of but it's all not time. About, because they won every second year, and now they haven't won for 30 years. And all the Habs fans that we kind oh, of Oh, 30 years? Of, oh, my God. 30 but years? But it's not about... It's not that they hate themselves. 30 years, man. No, 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 Drancer, you're missing That's the point. That's nothing. After it's, winning every second year, you're like, what is this? That's in my lifetime. But, like, it's not that they... I'll take that. Every Canucks fan would take that. It's not that they're upset about a lack of success. It's that they're just... They think other fans... Of the Habs are crazy. And they're right. Uh, they're not wrong so much as like, it's weird to me that the two most self-loathing fan bases are like fans of the most historically successful franchise and fans of the least historically successful franchise. Well, also, you, how do Maybe, you look at, you got to look at it two ways, though, because it is, is it a self-loathing or is it uh, one part of the fan that's base what hates is. another that's what part I'm of the fan at. base. It's not like with Canucks I hate fans, myself for being a Canucks fan. Yeah, it was, it was I like I hate other Canucks fans. It was no, like no, the no. Benning Bros versus the Bitter Bros yeah. back in the day, right? Yeah. Like it's that yeah. kind of dichotomy where like one is right. portion of the right. fan base hates the other portion a lot and vice versa. I'm, and I get that. But as opposed I, to just straight up self-loathing. But I also think Canucks fans have a unique self-loathing streak that's reflected by this. Like Canucks fans are voting for who the most annoying fan base are and they're like Canucks fans because they're annoyed by themselves. Yeah. They're like, why can't I help myself? Well, maybe there's a subsect of Habs Twitter that is like super positive and like, yeah, we're, we're one that's... of the best teams ever. And then there's another that's like, uh, we're, we've been bad for a long time now, guys. We got to do something about I, it. I would suggest to you it's the mo money, mo problems thing where it's like, where it's like, if you have truly nothing the way Canucks fans do, you but have I also problems. Think and if you have element, everything, you have problems. I think yeah. when you're a team that's clinging to past glories, that's inherently annoying. They're, like the Dallas Cowboys. Their glories are the most recent of any Canadian team. Of any Canadian team, but still 30 years ago. Yeah. It was in my lifetime. Yeah, but okay. Still, but like, still also the most recent Canadian team to get to the cup. Th- they were in the cup final. Like they've had deep playoff runs. I don't know, man. Three times in the last decade they've been in the conference final or the cup final. I'm not surprised. I think any Canadian team. I think like, you guys I, are being think, far too kind to Habs fans. Habs fans get a grip. I'm gonna say no, it. But I'm gonna like, say it. I don't care if you guys are but, too scared. But I think these these fans <laughs> who hate Habs fans are probably mad at the other fans who won't get a grip. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I think that's what this is expressing here. All I'm saying is if we ever in this market had a chance to cheer for a team like the 1970s Habs, like I'm not kidding, I would spend the next 40 years of my career talking about Larry Robinson being plus 100. Yeah, and some That's other and some other fans would be like, "Shut up about Larry Robinson," and I wouldn't, <laughs> and I wouldn't because that would be that would have been so sick. That would have been so sick. Like that's it. That's it. Pass. It's also it's also worth noting that his part of the fan uh, the, the the tweet most annoying fan base like the original part of the tweet uh, the Leafs at thirty seven percent take the lead a whopping thirty seven percent Canucks fans are in eighth place. I know at three. I actually thought that was like worth celebrating for the Canucks. Like good job, guys. 
be way higher. higher up. Yeah, yeah. Frankly, uh, guys, I have good news for you. Okay, it will tick up massively. Should this team be as good as they've looked through 33 games? Oh, like, 100%. If we're entering a multi-year competitive window, the Canucks are going to skyrocket up those rankings. Like, how annoying Canucks fans are has a perfectly inverted relationship to the success of the team. <laughs> they are... they are. If they go on, go on a deep playoff run and the other Canadian teams oh, do not... They will lose their minds. Yeah. We'll, and it'll be glorious. It'll By be, the way, this is very, a good point about the Habs uh, as well. Is Somebody texted, who do you think is submitting a response to these polls on social media? The sad Gen Z or millennials or the boomers who actually got to experience those 20 plus cups? Because you're right. The people who are following Jay Fresh on Twitter... Like maybe memories of the ninety three one, maybe yeah. the eighty six one, but nothing beyond that. Um, most likely. By the way, uh, legendary CDC poster and uh, original Canucks Reddit mod KMAD at Riot Survivor on Twitter notes: It's worth noting of the Canucks and the Canadians both being among the fan bases they listed that listed themselves as fan bases they hate. Worth noting: These are the only two teams who have had hockey riots, riots happen. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think I, it's just like a measure of the intensity of the passion for these teams. Fair. I ultimately think that's you what know it what? is. You know what? That 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 riot correlation, which I hadn't considered, is um, certainly compelling. I think there's just like so how much. Many, how many? When you Google your the name of your fan base and the words "burning police car," <laughs> how many Google results many do you see there? Yeah. Uh, I think there's just like so much, so much passion that is just directed in all ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's directed externally to the team, internally to the other fans. It's just, it's going everywhere. By the way, I'm going to say something that's going to make everyone so mad, oh but boy. I'm going to do it. I am annoyed by the fact that the, I find the most annoying fan base, any fan base that's just like, I hate Toronto. Not, not because I don't have, not because I have any, any affection for the Leafs. I just find the like reflexive, like Leafs, it's like, guys, no no good joke has been made on this subject in 40 years. Or any Toronto team. Like, oh, the Jays. Like, I'm just, yeah. I have no time for them. I find the reflexive anti-Toronto thing to be, like, very dull. Do you think that's because we went to school in Toronto? Maybe. <laughs> not helping your case, but I don't know. I went to school in Montreal, and I don't have, like, a de- I'm not putting up to defense of the Habs fans. I was like, yeah, you guys are annoying. <laughs> uh, the thing I found about, like, people in Montreal treated, like, hockey is like their birthright and i guess it is in a way but like you they could be a really really casual nhl fan and just assume they were an expert mm. you know what i mean because like well i'm from montreal like of course i'm an expert in hockey it's like but you're not <laughs> you don't want you barely watch you don't know anything about it what are yeah. you talking about it's like no i'm from montreal come on what do you mean noted leafs fan thomas france does not understand the hate for leafs fans <laughs> I, i'm absolutely not by the way fan. you know what's impressive and we'll move on in a second here but uh, in the most annoying fan base vote so the leafs take first place no surprise there the Senators being second, despite being so bad, is, is a really real impressive. Yeah, it's a real accomplishment. Like, well, usually you have to be good or like a historic team like the Leafs to be that hated. For them to be like terrible and also everyone thinks they're annoying is still really, be insufferable. It's is really awesome. impressive. We're 15 months removed from them spending an entire summer celebrating hot Pierre Summer. Think about how hilarious that is with everything that's transpired since. Like, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. A true accomplishment by Senators fans. Congratulations to you. Um, by the way, I want to note, uh, in 2009, I think, maybe 2009-ish, when the Montreal Canadiens played the Philadelphia Flyers in the Eastern Conference Final, um, my buddy was getting married. I was like 21, right? So he was getting married like a little too young, 
and and the bachelor party obviously took like a very very strange turn and w- one thing we did was i went to a store and i bought him a flyers jersey so i buy him a flyers jersey and i'm like don't take the tags off i'm gonna return it after the weekend and we we made him party in a flyers jersey the entire weekend in montreal during the eastern conference final and people would like lean out their uh they like pour beer on him like he got punched in the face like it was like at the end of the weekend i went to return it and it was like covered in blood and like beer and stuff i'm like oh this this is a bad idea so i went i was uh during the 2011 final around game five because i watched game five in whistler i was in whistler for a bachelor party and we went paintballing and what not our group, but it was like, you know, it's like paintball in June in Whistler. It was all bachelor parties. One of the other groups had dressed their guy up in a Bruins right. jersey. And <laughs> the other group, the like, so there's three bachelor parties. There's us, the guy with the groom and the Bruins uh, jersey, and then this like massive group of like 20 dudes. And there's a couple dudes in the massive group of 20 dudes who just could not get it through their heads that this guy was not actually a Bruins fan, that it was just a joke. And they were like (laughs) steaming mad, furious, like, we're going to get you, man. Like, why are you wearing that? It's like, guys, it's it's a bit. It's a bachelor party. And they like could not process oh my God. that this was just a bit uh, that his his buddies had put him up to I love that. on their bachelor, and they all, their bachelor party. And both groups remember that moment, and that's why they uh, voted Canucks fans the most annoying in the Jay Fresh Bowl. <laughs> all right, give us a moo cow there. All right. Airbud, producer Ben, do you have a what we learned for us? Airbud has to do a basketball what we learned. Of course. Yeah, I got one too. The Toronto Raptors are in a state of purgatory, and yeah. I see no way out for them right now. They lost to Denver last night, and I know Denver's the reigning champions, but they're 3-8 and eight in their last 11 games. They're well below 500. They're 12th in the Eastern Conference. What is the solution for this team? Where are they trying to go? Masai, it, they don't seem to have a direction, and it's really frustrating as a basketball fan, as a, as a Raptors fan, to be like, what are we trying to do here? When in, historically, you can't get free agents you oftentimes can't keep your stars. What's the next step for this team? It's really incredible when you look at it from winning the title in 2019 and Masai Ujiri in particular, who built quite fairly the reputation as kind of the ultimate big picture strategic vision guy executive in the NBA who was going to have the right path, stick to it, make the tough moves, execute and do what he needed to do to make his team competitive to see that goodwill and that reputation be just steadily chipped away from that point to this. Like I did not see that coming. How much has Masai Ujiri's reputation fallen from that peak in 2019 or, and the confidence? Look, he's still Masai Ujiri. If he was a free agent basketball executive tomorrow, there'd be a lineup of teams trying to get an interview of him and trying to hire him. But it's just it goes completely against what we how he thought he was going to manage a basketball team, what we've seen from the Raptors since then. I'm out on you, Ujiri. And I agree with you. And I've been out on Ujiri since the moment he made the Jakob Pertle trade. Like, what a disaster. That trade, anyway, it it actually upsets me. I'm so out on this Raptors core. I was so out on them before the coaching change. I I think picking the core group ahead of Nick Nurse was a mistake. Like, you're looking at what's happening in Philadelphia. Um, He's a great coach. He's a great coach. He's one of the best defensive game planners in the league. The defensive schemes against Anthony Edwards last night that they were running? Unreal. Like Amazing. I, I just... It feels like 
and and also the draft picks. You know, there was this stretch where like Siakam and like on and on, mm. they were just nailing everyone, and that's kind of gone cold. Like the the day two or the round two guys that they'd bring up to the NBA DL, and then they'd end up being really good. Obviously, you can't always count on getting a Fred Van Vliet type hit, but there were like it was more than Van Vliet. It was like um, uh, Banton and on and on, like just like useful guys. Mm. I don't know. It just. You know, every time I see Malachi Flynn on the court, I'm just like, why? Why? He's not, he's not an NBA here? player. No, it's brutal. I hate it. I and hate they're it. not good enough to be in the playoffs at all, and they're not really bad enough to get a lottery pick, though. Yeah, they're they're in the Canucks zone. Tough. Yeah, it sucks. Mukow? <laughs> not this year, though. No, not this year. Uh, give us a Mukow there. But, but maybe still. Uh, do you have a what we learned? Yeah, yeah, I do. All right. The Sacramento Kings aren't big enough. <laughs> The Sacramento Kings got bullied by the Boston Celtics last night. They're not big enough. Porzingis was eating their lunch. Yeah. Like eating their lunch all over uh, at both ends. Like they were scared to finish at the rim when he was nearby. Uh, they couldn't defend anything the Celtics did going to the net. Celtics also had a, an extraordinary run of finishing luck in, in the wake of a game against Golden State in which they missed a historic number of three-pointers. But um, yeah, they they were just bigger and meaner than the Sacramento Kings, and if they want to light the beam more frequently, they're going to need some beef in the middle. The Kevin Herter guarding Kevin Persingas oh. uh, matchup. I only watched like five minutes of that game, but like that was what was happening. It's like, wow, Persingas is absolutely dominating. No surprise there. That's all you Not needed. sure if that, that one's going to be a winner for that, Sacramento. That 19-2 run beginning in the third quarter, powered like personally by Persingas, was, first of all, scary. Because I actually think the Kings are like, I mean, that's a playoff team in the West, no question. And the Celtics just manhandled them. But also, just like, you can't shine a brighter spotlight on Sacramento's issues than the Celtics did. Sacramento can't stop a nosebleed defensively. Yeah, no. They last year, this year, they were like 144 points last night, I believe. Like, it's just, you can't be putting that up and actually trying to be a competitive playoff team. You, you need like a high-end defensive big who also can shoot a bit if you're going to lean on Sabonis the way they do. It's hard to have to play with two bigs, though. Minnesota's doing it with Gobert and Towns, but to have Sabonis and another big. But I think that works because Towns... Towns can shoot. Towns can shoot, and he sublimates himself to, you know, like he, he like we saw it with uh, the the play with uh, on Jimmy Butler, right? Right. Like he's willing to be a second guy. He's willing to defer a bit. I think Sabonis is a smart enough basketball guy to do it, but you need to get him some half beside him. Like, no question. All right, give us a moo cow there. Uh, in true uh, Halford Bruff fashion, we've left it very late to get to the listeners, but let's print out the listener what we learned submissions here with the, uh, the top matrix. What we learned brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mit- mitigation at $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. Oh my God! We're having a fire plan! Uh, Liam in Calgary texts in what we learned. I learned I prefer to watch football games in bars with friends, which is a complete 180 to how I like to watch hockey games. When it comes to hockey, I tend to be way more analytical and find myself needing to pay attention more and don't like to have distractions around me. Are there sports you prefer to watch in certain ways and how do you watch them? For me, the key is if I'm invested, if it's like a team I care about, I need to watch, and it's a big game, right? If it's just a whatever, regular season game, who cares? But, like, at the peak of my Canucks fandom in playoff games, I could only watch with with friends I knew to be as invested and as informed as me. You know what I mean? I could not watch with people who are like, oh, this is fun. They're in the playoffs. Let's go to the bar and have a drink. It's like, no. 
no, 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 no. This is serious. <laughs> There's like two people I trust to watch the game with, and we're going to sit there and yell at the TV together and take it very, very seriously. Uh, game six of the 2011 Stanley Cup final, I went out to the bar with some friends to watch the game, and obviously it was going badly for the Canucks, and it was like torture. You know what I mean? I oh. was like, oh, I hate this. Like, I had to, like, go for a walk. I, like, went home after the second period. Like, I just, like, and not not because I was mad at the result, but because, like, I couldn't be social yeah. while things were going that badly on a night that I had such high hopes for. And game seven, I was like, I'm watching it alone. I'm watching it alone. Like, game three, Game three of the series, when we were all riding high, I had people over, like, one of my best friends and then some friends of friends who I knew but not, like, super well. And, of course, it was just a disaster. And late in the third period, I don't know, there's like five minutes left. I was just, like, so angry. I was like, I kicked them out of my house. I was like, guys, you have to leave. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't, like, because they're, like, a little upset but not that upset. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I know this is rude, but, like, you have to get out of my house. I'm, I'm having trouble dealing with this. Yeah, I just need to sit alone by myself. Uh, mostly, though, these days I watch sports like I watch, like, returns. You know what I mean? Like, I find that I've got so much going on during any given game. Like, if I'm watching basketball, I've got gambling. Mm. If I'm watching football, I've got fantasy and gambling. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm watching hockey, I've got a professional interest. I'm often taking notes or I'm, like, looking at data. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes watching two or three games. You know, I've got, like, multiple screens going. So I find now my experience watching sports, like, I'm either belly up at a bar with a buddy and I'm tracking multiple things. <laughs> or I'm at home and I, like, might as well be, like, an old-timey, like, 1920s like stockbroker, I've got like the ticker coming in and like all the returns. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah, got. Yeah, that was a good face-off win. Percentage yeah. looking good. See? Ah, oh, see. Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, see. I work for Ogden Brown, and uh, yeah, no, like that was above expected off the charts. <laughs> that's how I watch sports. I don't I, know if anyone else talks like that when you watch sports. Well, Pretty especially with, with the Canucks, with like uh, with the Hunter S. Thompson, yeah, like, exactly. older. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, guys. I gotta throw something in here because it's important. Uh, okay. it, this is an add-on to the Jay Fresh thing I was saying. He also did a most overrated team in the short term. The Canucks are number one at 18. percent This is a, fan, a league-wide vote. Fan fans across the league voted in this, not just like Leafs fans, for example. Oh. The Canucks are number one most overrated in the short term. It's important to note. In the short term, at 18%. This is another thing that's going to get people mad at me, but it's like, you know, pretty consistently, there's like a profile of team that I tend to fade, right? And not, this isn't Canucks specific, although people think it is, right? And it's the the team that's like under the hood, not elite, uh, too reliant on goaltending, too reliant on their power play, something like that. Like the Rangers the last couple of years. <laughs> Every time we enter the playoffs, I'm picking against the Rangers. I'm making fun of them. People sort of call me negative, but I'm actually pretty polite to the Canucks in that, I would be far more dismissive of this 33 games if they were an out-of-market team, right? Like, the, the their profile is one that I'd be just like, oh, I'm not worried about them as an elite team. I, I wouldn't say that about the Canucks because I owe it to our listeners to get more in-depth about why I think that. And, you know, I, I, I'm having fun covering the team, and, and I want to see where this goes. But, you know, I, I don't think that's a surprise, nor is it that they're, you know, Vegas has them as the seventh best odds to, to win the West just based on their underlying profile. It is what it is. Uh, thank you to everyone for texting oh, in your What We Learned. Text in, though, says Bruins should be number one short term. And I actually, I want to I just note, I agree with that. That's right. All right, there you go. Um, thanks for texting in. It's uh, last show of the year for us. I know there are morning shows next week uh, happening, but it's an Ask Us Anything Friday on the show. So I'm looking keep... forward to D- uh, Drans and Dollywall tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Also, Drans and Moj.
I, I'm do, we're interviewing Dolly Wall. We did crossover with him yesterday, and then I do my Donnie and Dolly. It's a lot of fifteen. It's a lot of Dolly Wall. It's a lot of Dolly man, <laughs> and a lot of Drants for Dolly Wall. It's a lot of both of us for both of us. No question. <laughs> um, it's ask us anything as well. So uh, make sure you get your ask us anything questions in. We'll do that. And uh, looking forward to a Friday show tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.